as we enter into a parable, it's, it's, it's important to understand something about a parable. A parable is not something that you just go, oh, you know what, I'm going to pick a piece out of a parable and, give, and, and make like doctrine out of it. Okay, that's not what a parable is for. Because even in the very beginning of it, it says, for the kingdom of heaven is like. Okay, that word like is very important because a parable isn't saying, this is the kingdom of heaven. This is exactly how everything's going to go in the kingdom of heaven. He's saying, no. See, the kingdom of heaven is something, Paul said that it was beyond words, that it would be unlawful to even try to utter what heaven was like. And so what he's doing now is saying, okay, you guys can't possibly here on earth with your finite minds to understand the eternal realm of heaven. He says, so what I'm going to do, I'm going to give you something that heaven is similar to. Not exactly, but it is similar to. So it's something that we are meant to draw principles from, not to make specific doctrines on. Okay, do you guys get that? Because there's areas where there's certain areas of, of a parable where it will make perfect sense and it will really highlight a doctrine that you can find in other places in the scripture. But then there are parts of it that will kind of break down and you go like, well, how does that work? One of them was like last week with the 10 virgins. Remember, they said, go to those who sell oil and buy the oil for yourself. Now you go, well, you can't buy the Holy Spirit, right? Well, now, in one sense, you can say, well, the Holy Spirit was purchased for one and for all by Jesus Christ on the cross, but you can't go to like vendors and buy the Holy Spirit. Uh, There was a guy in the New Testament in the book of Acts who said he wanted to do that, Simon the sorcerer, remember? And and Peter came and rebuked him, said, you have no part with us because of this wickedness, because he asked to buy the gift of the Holy Spirit. Right, So that's where the, the parable kind of breaks down a little bit. You can't take it literally exactly because it is like. Okay, the same sense is what we have here today. The kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country. Okay, so by looking at that, by looking at the similarities between this and what we know of the church, what time frame is this talking about? Is this talking about the time preceding Jesus on the cross? Is it talking about the time of Jesus' ministry? Or is it talking about the time of Jesus after he has ascended to heaven, he's, he's died on the cross, he's raised, he's, he's in the right, you know, he's in the faraway country, so to speak. Is that what this is speaking about? Yeah, pretty clearly, right? Okay, not, not very difficult to understand. But then it says that he called his own servants. Okay, now here's the master. We obviously recognize the master as being Jesus himself. This is a parable concerning him. And now who are his own servants? That would be us, right? That would be the church. That would be his disciples. Okay, important to understand that as we, as we continue on within this parable. It says that he delivered his goods to them. Okay, now this is the area where, this is where the conjecture is going to come in. This is where the area of, of uh, disputing happens in the, um, in the commentaries and things like that as you read them. What are these goods? Okay, well, it says to one he gave five talents uh, to another two, and to another one. What is this talent? Now, it actually is coincidental that the word talent, like we think of like, so you've got talent kind of a thing, like there's shows and talent shows and things like that. That's not what this really means. A talent is a unit of measurement. Okay, it literally means a talent. The word talent literally means 117 pounds. Okay, it's a unit of measurement. That's what it is. Okay, now we know because it talks about um, later uh, within this parable, he mentions the word money. That word money is silver. So in the parable, within the, the, the frame of the parable, the master delivered to his servants one talent of silver, 
two talents of silver and five talents of silver. Okay, so for the five talents, I I just looked this up last night. I was curious. I'll admit it. Right now, silver, well, last night, silver was going for about $25 per ounce. There are 16 ounces in a pound. And so the, 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 disciple uh the servant the doulos that the master gave five talents to in today's money would have given him about two hundred and twenty four thousand six hundred and forty dollars worth of silver okay that's what he entrusted to his servant now you have the other one with the two um again twenty four dollars an ounce sixteen ounces per pound uh his two talents would be equivalent today of about eighty nine thousand eight hundred and fifty six dollars okay still quite a sum uh finally uh we have the last guy and his is worth about $44,928. Okay, is this parable talking to us and teaching us about financial stewardship? That's literally what these talents would be worth. But is that what Jesus is getting at? Is that what he is trying to teach us? Because you know, I could break into a whole sermon about financial stewardship. And you know, in some places, um, I won't try to disparage anybody, but it's really hard not to bite my tongue. We'll, we'll take a text like this and say, oh, you need to send the church money. You need to be responsible. And if you give the church money, then God will bless you and you'll be financially, you'll have lots of fruit. I'm sorry, that's not what this is talking about. It really, that would be a real stretch in this. Okay, so I'm not going to go there. Don't worry, you're fine. So we need to decipher, we need to discern what is Jesus trying to come across. Now, remember the context. You know, he, he, he just told his disciples that Jerusalem was going to be destroyed, right? Jerusalem was going to be destroyed. And his disciples are like, whoa. And Jesus starts telling about the signs of his coming. And then he, start, he tells two parables of needing to be ready for the coming of the master, right? That's the context. And this is the third. This is the triplet. This is the third of the three parables that Jesus was using to illustrate the second coming and the rapture of Jesus Christ. Okay. That's all what this context is. So it's like, I don't think Jesus said, Hey, in the end times, just before Jesus Christ comes back from, from, uh, heaven to, to collect his bride, you need to be financially secure. Okay. That's not what he's talking about. Okay. So we're going to look into this. We'll come back to these talents in a minute. Then he says to each one, he, so he gave one to five, one to one. He gave one to each according to his own ability. Okay, so here's where we're kind of kind of jump in. I believe, and now I'm just going to give you this. This is my conjecture. Yeah, as looking through this, trying to to meditate upon these things, I believe that uh, these talents that the that the Lord is speaking of here represent the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Can you think? Oh, are you one of those? Are you going to get charismatic on me? No. Right? We're, we're, we're going to keep it real, real simple and real pure here. But the reason why, because at the end of this parable, what does he say? What, what, that, that, that one lazy, unprofitable servant, what happens to him? Does he slap him on the wrist and say, naughty, naughty, do better next time? He gets thrown out into outer darkness. How many of you guys know what outer darkness means? What that represents in scripture? It is a representation not of Hades or Sheol, Right? That's the holding ground until the judgment seat, right? until the great white throne judgment. But outer darkness is reserved, it's a reserved uh, description of Gehenna. Gehenna is what is known in scripture as the second death. It is the, not just dying physically, it's the spiritual death where you are forever and for all eternity separated from the living God. Okay? Where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth, where the worm doesn't die, where the fire is not quenched. 
outer darkness. Okay, that's Gehenna. So this servant, uh, this one servant who was unprofitable, who didn't do what his master was calling, he did something that was worthy of banishment to hell. So we have to think, okay, wait a second. What on earth is this? Because now again, you, you you have to say it's parable, so it's like, but in the end, Jesus is saying, hey, this guy, what he did was deserving of hell, of eternal separation, eternal condemnation. So it's like, we need to really specify, what is this? What, what is it that, um, that every single servant of God possesses? Number one, now you get, some people would say, oh, it's the word of God, right? It's the word of God. That's what this is. They, they all have the word of God and they can take the word of God and they can use it out in the world. But you know what? I mean, just practically speaking, we're, we're meeting in the old Wycliffe building. And if you talk to Wycliffe, there's at least 2000 languages that still don't have a Bible in their own language. So not everybody does have a Bible. Not everybody who believes actually has the word of God. You go to many uh, foreign missions areas. It's like the people, their faith is this big, but it's about that deep, right? They got a lot of faith. They trust in God. They believe in God. They love Jesus. But it's like their, their faith is like this deep because they don't have the word. They sit there, they, they tear out their Bibles. They tear pages out and they pass one page to every family and they read it and they, they honor it and they cherish it and then they give it back and then somebody else gets to read it and they memorize it and do that. Not everybody has the word of God. So it's like, eh, you could try to fit that in here, but I don't think so. What is the one thing that every, and I mean every, disciple every servant of the lord has holy spirit and with the giving of the holy spirit what does every believer what does the church what does the bible say that every single believer who receives the holy spirit also receives the gifts of the spirit or some of them not all of them but some of them in romans 12 verses 6 and 8 it says having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us let us use them if prophecy, let us prophesy. Now look at this. This is important. In proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who, show, or he who uh, shows mercy with cheerfulness. Right? We have been given these gifts. Every single one of us. Why are, do you guys know why we have the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Do you guys, does anybody here not even know what the gifts of the Holy Spirit are? It's okay. Right? If you're not sure, we're going to get there. Because usually when you hear gifts of the Holy Spirit, everybody thinks of immediately tongues. Right? You, you, you imagine people going, I should have bought a Honda, 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 and like raising their hands and getting crazy. Right? That's usually what we think of when we think of the gifts. Paul actually said that was the least of the gifts. Right? It's not the gift. Right? He said, no. He goes, rather, he goes, pray for prophecy. If you're going to pray for anything, pray for prophecy. That's better. Right? Pray, pray for, you know, to be a, a pastor or a teacher or something like that. Pray for something like that. Something that's going to edify the body because tongues only edifies yourself. Unless there's an interpreter. If there's an interpreter, then, hey, you know what? Awesome. Very good. Carry on. Okay? But there are gifts that are given. And there's a reason why they're given. Why are the gifts given? Why does the Holy Spirit... Number one, the Holy Spirit is the evidence of our salvation. Not the gift of tongues. The Holy Spirit. What is the evidence that the Holy Spirit is dwelling within us? Love. You got it. Agape. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Right? If you like the song. Right? I've got kids. So kids ministry, their songs stick in my head all the time. 
right? It's like, but in the end, the evidence of salvation is the Holy Spirit. The evidence of the Holy Spirit is love. And love is manifested in what way? Well, in the, whole, in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Uh, here are the distinguishes. This is how that love, that agape is manifested in our life. Some, they're, they're given the gift of apostle, right? Some prophet, some pastor, some teacher, some ministers. Some have the gift of helps. Some have the gift of healing. Some have the gift of miracles. Some are administrators. Some have the gift of tongues. Some have the gift of interpretation. Some have words of wisdom. Some have words of knowledge. Some have the gift of mercy, exhortation, discernment. There's several, there's actually several lists within the scriptures of these different gifts. If you even go back to the Old Testament, there's even, now people say, oh, they try to get real strict, like, oh, only the ones mentioned in the New Testament are the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But actually you go back to the Old Testament and God literally says, I put my spirit upon this guy that he might do all manner of art. Oh, interesting. Now, I don't know about you, but the guy didn't have it. The Holy Spirit came on him. Now he can do it. That sounds like a gift to me. Okay. There's different giftings. We don't have like... It's not just what we have right here in the New Testament, but these are basically things that the the love of God is being manifested in his church for what reason? So we have these things now, but why? That you who get tattered and torn out there, when you come here, might be mended. That's why. That's why they're given, right? We have been given the Holy Spirit that we might minister to one another, Right? I, have, I might have the gift of mercy. And the reason why God gives me that gift of mercy is so that when you have a really bad day and you come in here all grumpy, I know who you are. I don't yell at you. I don't sit there and like come down and hard on you like rah, rah, rah. You need to repent of that and stuff like that. Instead, I can come and, it's like, and be merciful things like, you know what? I've had bad days too. You know, I, I know you're yelling at me right now, but you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be merciful to you. And I'm going to come alongside you. And instead, I'm going to encourage you, right? That's a gift, isn't it? That, that, that is a way that then like I can talk you off the cliff, so to speak, right? I, I can kind of bring it down, bring it down, bring it down. And hey, let's talk and let's, let's interact. And hey, how you doing? And you know what? Can I pray for you? You know, can I do that? And then there's other times where it's like, hey, you know what? The congregation was like, hey, you know what? There's this need and we want to do it. But it's like, man, I can't do it. I can't do that. And then one person says, you know what? I'll do it because they have the gift of faith. Right? They're, they're, they're not afraid. They're like, no, God's going to do this. And they stir everybody up. And, Let's go. And they do it. Right? And so see that, that builds us up. It strengthens us. Right? There's the gift of encouragement. How many of you guys love when people have the gift of encouragement? Right? Those people, man, you're having a bad day and, and they don't sit there and tell you what you need to know. They tell you what you really, what you really need to hear. So just that thing is, it's like, it's like medicine for your soul. Like they just comfort you and lift you up and encourage you. Right? That's what the gifts are for. Right? That's what they are. And that's what I believe that this is. God is giving his servants the, the, these talents, these, these, these giftings. Now, granted, it's silver. And, and you say, wait a second, but how come God's giving, how come he gives them five and, and this other person two and I only get one? How many of you don't even know what your gift is? Right? Some of us, for sure. It took a long time before I started even recognizing any gifts that I had. I, I, but I, I would take like the spiritual uh, gift surveys at our church. And i like, whoa, I am the first person to have all the gifts. Amazing. Because you know what? You, any of us who, who did like Scantron tests in school, we know how to answer a test. Right? It's like, hey, I want, I want to have that. So yeah, I'm going to answer it that way. And I want to have that. I'm going to answer it that way. I am the perfect person. Didn't you know that? 
But it, it wasn't in reality. I didn't really know what spiritual giftings I had until later. And so some of us, and here in Romans 6, remember what it says? It says, um, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Okay, so God gives some people, Harvest Crusade is going on right now, it's real easy. Greg has a gift of what? Evangelism, that's right. And you know what? According, He must also have a gift of faith because, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but like if I'm doing this or this, I, I, it, it would take quite a bit of gusto for me to even a little bit more than Chuck encouraging me to go like, hey, you know what, let's rent Anaheim Stadium for an evangelistic, you know, outreach. It's like, yeah, that costs a lot of money. You sure, are you sure, Chuck? Chuck, are you sure? Right, seriously. But you know what? Greg has a gift of evangelism. The people come. He also, I would guess, has a gift of faith because you know what? It takes a lot of gusto to rent the Angel Stadium. Right? It's a big deal. And you know what? Yet he did it. But you know what, did Greg always have all of that? Well, we certainly saw right from the beginning, if you read his testimony, that he had a gift of, of um, evangelism right from the very beginning. First time he shared the gospel, a whole bunch of people got saved, got baptized. It's like, what? Why didn't that happen to me? Right? I want that. But you know what? Does he have a gift of mercy? Does he have a gift of encouragement? Does he have a gift of dot, dot, dot? I don't know. He's actually, from what I hear, a very quiet guy. He likes to be alone. He likes to be with his family and personal. And, you know, like he likes that time. He treasures that time. Where a person who has the gift of hospitality, on the other hand, would be like, I want to be with you. Come here and let me feed you. Or do something like that. Come to my house right now. Pastor Chuck, Pastor Greg, my, my, my dear pastor, Pastor Joey. You know what? Nobody comes to his house. I haven't even been to his new house yet. Right? I'm one of his best friends, and I still haven't even been there. He, it's like, that's his sanctuary. He's like, stay away. You know, this is my place. Right? Okay, Joey does not have a gift of hospitality. Okay? <laughs> that's just not his gifting. Okay? That's not... Now, ask him, does he have a gift of exhortation? Absolutely. Absolutely. He has a strong gift of exhortation. A gift of faith? I would say so, for sure. Administration? Yes, he's very organized in kind of an unusual way, but very organized, okay? Those are all different things that, that come to us, and every single one of us have. And if you don't know what your gifting is, well, you know what? We're going to get to that in just a second. If you don't know what your gifting is, but he, check this out. So he gave each one according to his own ability, and then look, immediately he went on his journey. Okay, that's Christ. He leaves. He goes. The Holy Spirit comes, fills our hearts. We have these giftings. We have the Holy Spirit. We have love, agape. We have it manifesting in these gifts, Okay, why? That we might mend one another. As we are a member, we are sheep among wolves, right? Don't ever forget that, okay? So then it says, listen, he who had received the five talents went and traded with them. So now listen to this. So through this, we obviously know that the master told the servant what he expected, right? Right? With it, there, there was an expectation that the servant understood, okay? He gave him the five talents, right? All of that, like 600 pounds worth of silver. That's a lot of silver, right? He gave him all that. And there was an expectation that the servant understood he was to go out and he was to trade. He was to buy cheap, sell expensive. He was to make his master money. He was to increase the holdings of his master. So when his master came back, he could go like, wow, good job. Okay. The master was investing in the servant. 
Okay, same thing with the, the man with two and the man with one. Right? There was an expectation with the gifting. What is the expectation of the giving of the Holy Spirit? What is the expectation upon us believers? Right? Is there an expectation? With salvation, with the giving of the Holy Spirit, with the giving of the gifts, is there an expectation from God for us? Absolutely. What are some of those expectations? Number one, love God first, right? Number two, love our neighbors. Number three, minister to one another. Right? If we look back at the, the stewards to feed one another, to tend one another, to make sure that we take care of each other's needs. If we look at the, the, the parable of the virgins, we're to encourage each other on the coming of the Son of Man and to be full right, of the Holy Spirit. Right? We are to minister to one another. Right? We're to help each other. Right? That's an expectation. Not only that, but the, the Great Commission is to literally to go out into all the world. And preach the gospel, making disciples, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But Jesus said, wait. Don't go do that yet. What did he tell them to wait for? Pentecost. What happened at Pentecost? The giving of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is given that he might be the power behind us, the dunamis, that dynamite power that would cause us to be able to go out and with boldness and authority share the gospel, the good news. That is the expectation of the church while we wait. Right? We're not to wait and like, you know, play DS all day long. Right? We're not to wait and watch Duck Dynasty, even though it is a funny show of rednecks you know, who love Jesus. Right? That's not what we're called to do. Now, th- that's stuff that's like sideline stuff. Okay, you, you can like, it's like salt. You know, a little bit of salt's good. You put a ton of salt in there, woo, you got brine. Okay? No good. That stuff is fine in its proportion. But that is not what we are called to do. There is an expectation placed on us by the Lord. Okay? Every single one of us have it. And we understand what it is. And if you didn't understand before, you understand it now. So now you're accountable. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? <laughs> okay. Likewise, who received, he who received the two, uh, he, he rece- he, he who received the two gained two more also. But he who had received the one, now here we go. He dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. Okay, does this sound like a reasonable thing to anybody here? Anybody here ever worked for a company, a boss, or anything like that? And did that boss ever give you like a company credit card? And you think, hey, you know what? Here's a good idea. I'm going to go into my backyard and bury the company credit card. That'll do, that'll, that'll do exactly what my boss wants me to do with it. Hmm, seems a little bit weird, right? Um, that's not the normal way to deal with money. You go, you open an account if you need to, you put money there, but to take this talent of 117 pounds of silver to go into your backyard, dig a hole, bury it like a pirate, you know, and like cover it up. I mean, maybe he had a little treasure map or something. I don't know. But it's like, that does not seem like a normal thing to do. There's something going on here. And we're going to get to that in a minute. We're going to, we're going to keep going. So, there's a, a time lapse. We don't know how long. It just says after a long time. How long is a long time? I don't know. He just says a long time. But a long time has passed. He says, the Lord of those servants came. Uh-oh. Here's the first thing. Look, he did come back. It was a long time. Jesus has been gone for how long? Almost 2,000 years, right? In, in basically 2032, it'll be literally 2,000 years. Okay? Almost 2,000 years he's been gone. But guess what? He will come back he is coming back make no mistake he is coming back okay so after a long time the lord of those servants came now listen and he settled accounts 
Do you know when Jesus Christ comes, he's going to settle accounts with you? He loaned you his Holy Spirit. That's God, by the way. And he loaned you the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And he is going to settle accounts with you on what you did with those gifts. On what you did with the Holy Spirit that was given to you. Now remember, this is in Ephesians chapter 1. We know that every single spiritual gift of the heavenlies was blessed to us through the Holy Spirit. And that same Holy Spirit that literally, listen to this, raised Jesus from the dead and lifted him up, exalted him, and set him at the right hand of the throne of glory. That Holy Spirit is dwelling in you. Do you feel like you have that kind of power? Do you feel like you have that kind of authority? Well, you know what? I don't care what you feel. Cast the feelings aside. The heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. You need to believe that you have that power dwelling in you because it is the truth. It is what the scriptures declare. And when Jesus comes back, he's going to settle accounts with you and with me. Right? That's called the Bema seat of Jesus Christ. Right? He will come and, and he, it says that in Romans, it says that we will all give an account for every idle word. I quoted that one in James 3 last night of the, or on Wednesday you know, at the, the untamable tongue, remember? But we will all give an account, not just of our words, but of our deeds, of our faith, of the things that God has invested in us. To he who much is given, much is required. To he who little is given, little is required. Right? But we are going to give an account for uh, what we have been given. Right? Don't dig it and put it in the ground. Okay? Don't bury it. Don't par- bury the Holy Spirit under um, the, the deceitfulness of riches and the cares of this world. Don't quench him that way. So, after he settles accounts, verse 20, it says, So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. And his Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many. Okay, now, I love that this is so encouraging to me because what's the master's heart? Did he say, well, you served, you should have done that. That's what I expected of you. And then go back and you know, make me some breakfast. Is that what the, was that the heart of the master? Was he a cruel, mean boss like that? No. He said, well done. Well done. He goes, you know what? You were faithful in this little thing. He says, now I'm going to make you ruler of great things. His desire is to reward. His desire is to bless, to give, to give abundantly. Okay? When we see our Lord face to face, he will reward us according to our abounding love, to how we have taken the Holy Spirit within us, how we have not quenched him, but we have submitted ourselves to him and loved others, ministering to others, mending each other, right? He wants to reward us. It is his great desire to reward us. And not only that, but then he says, enter into the joy of your Lord, right? This is the will of our God. Now, a friend of mine, David, you guys know David Abara? Right, he comes on the, the men's ministry every once in a while. Uh, he's been here on a Sunday before. David Abara. Okay, David Abara, when you go to his house, he's in a gated community. And I love it. Y- y- you press the buttons to get in. And then the little speaker comes back and goes, welcome. And, and it's like, and then the gate swings open. And it's like, every time I see that, every time I hear that, I can't help but to think of this. It's like, It reminds me, he's like, one day we're going to stand before the Lord and he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord and the gates of heaven will swing open. It's like, yeah, welcome. And in you go. Like, I'm really excited. It's going to be really cool. But now one of the things like the the servant, the two servants anyway, the one with the five and the one with the two, they had 
the talents, but then they earned more. Now, that's something that, okay, we have to kind of cross that bridge for a second. Does that mean that you can like gain, how do you gain more of the Holy Spirit or gain more spiritual gifts? Is that a question? Does that seem like a reasonable question for you guys? Okay, well, here's the thing. The very, 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 very first gift that I, that I became conscious of was the gift of pastor. Right? ministering to people. People came to me asking advice and, and needing help and, and, and needing you know, me to tend them and some of that. It was the first one that really kind of came up. Now, you may say, oh, well, wait a second. Doesn't when you get the Holy Spirit, doesn't he just give you all the gifts that you have like right off the bat? And then, and then you know, the, a, as you kind of start serving and ministering, then, then they'll just kind of grow within you and you, then you'll see them. They'll, they'll make them, they'll, they'll, they'll be revealed to you. I would say that's a good thought, but it's scripturally, you can kind of say, no, it's not. Because Paul said that you're supposed to pray for the best gifts, right? If you don't have the gift of prophecy, he said, pray for it. Ask for it. That means we don't have all the gifts. We have been given certain gifts. Why? For the edification of the body, right? You don't need a whole bunch of pastors. Um, you know, we need one or two or three pastors to be able to minister to a congregation, but then we need to have the gift of faith. We need to have the gift of mercy. We need to have the gift of um, hospitality. We need to have all those different gifts all spread out and we all work together as a body. Okay. But now here's the thing. As you receive a gift and you have a gift, maybe you don't know what that gift is. Well, the way you're going to find out what that gift is, is by beginning to serve beginning to love other people, beginning to not live for yourself, but to live for others. And then as you serve within the church, that gift is going to begin to grow. It's going to, it's going to be used, right? You're going to begin to recognize it and you're going to be able to operate within it. Okay. And it's going to grow. But now here's the thing as again, according to the proportion of your faith. And as that gift grows and your ministry grows and the Lord begins to call you, he says, Hey, you know what? You are a faithful servant. I've entrusted to you a little. Now I'm going to entrust to you more. And what he will do is as the scope of your ministry and ministering grow, you know, there's more needs. There's more needs in there. And if there's other people who aren't meeting those needs, guess what he's going to do? Well, you know what? You're faithful. I'm going to give you another gift. Now you need a gift of accounting or administrative, right? So to, to, to keep all of this all in order, you know what? You have the gift of faith. You have the gift of exhortation. Now I'm going to give you the gift of, um, of uh, stewardship and things like that. I'm going to, I'm going to allow you to do this that way because otherwise the whole ministry is going to fall apart right and so it grows and the lord entrusts more and more and more and it grows okay but always know that all of these things they're a joy for god to give he wants to give them it's his desire to give every good and perfect gift comes down from the father of lights right every single one of them it is his pleasure it's his good pleasure to give you the kingdom to give you these gifts. And so then we kind of come through here and it says, um, he who had received the two did the same thing. The Lord delivered to me two talents. Look, I've gained you two more. Verse 23, it says, his Lord said to him, well done. There it is again. Good and faithful servant. See, there's that important word. We've heard it twice now. You have been faithful. There's three over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Right? Again, it's the Lord's pleasure to please him, to bless them, to reward them. Verse 24, then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man. Okay, that word hard, it's uh, scaleros. It means hard, demanding, violent, strong, harsh, hard-hearted, dry, stiff, inflexible, rigid, stiff-necked. 
Now, if my boss came back to me after being gone for a long time, is this the greeting you want to give them? Man, you're a jerk. Right? Oh, not a good idea. Not a good idea. This was a foolish, like the foolish virgin, this is a foolish servant. Okay? He says, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look there, you have what is yours. Okay, so now we have two possibilities here. Either this man is telling the truth and he was afraid and that's the, the motivation for him burying this 117 pounds of silver in his backyard. Okay. Or he's not telling the truth. He's lying. We're going to get to that in just a second. Okay? If he's lying, then why would you bury 117 pounds of silver in your backyard? Because you wanted, it, you wanted to consume it on yourself. Right? His master was going away to a far country. Right? Hey, maybe a lot of people get killed on the road. You know, maybe my master will never come back. And if he doesn't come back, then it's mine. If he does come back, well, then I give it back to him. Right? So we'll see there. But either way, now listen to this. Let's just give him the benefit of the doubt for a second. I was afraid. I was afraid. Okay, we all know what is expected of us as the church, right? How many of us have not done our master's will because we were afraid? I'd I'd have to raise my hand. I really would. Listen, don't let fear become an excuse for disobedience. Let me say that one more time because it's important. Don't let fear become an excuse for disobedience. Okay? That's giving this man the benefit of the doubt. But let's keep going. He says, But his Lord answered, verse 26, and said to him, You wicked, now see, he's assigning a motive now, and lazy servant. Now remember what the other guys, he said of them, faithful. Well done, good and faithful. Now we have wicked and lazy. See how it's the contrast of the others? He says, you wicked and lazy servant. He says, now listen, he's going to um, call out what he's saying. This guy's lying. Okay. And he's going to show him that he's lying. He says, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Right? If that's what you know about me, that I am a hard, austere, demanding man. He goes, so then, if that's true, verse 27, you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming, I would have received my own with interest. Okay, so now look at, this guy's own words are condemning him, aren't they? Because in the end, how many of you guys have worked, I, I know you've all worked, right? But how many of you work, have worked for a demanding, like, hard boss, right? The ones that scare you and, and, and frustrate you, and you're kind of like, oh, and, and when they leave, everybody talks about them behind their back because they're a jerk, Right now, if that boss came to you and said, here, Jesse, here's forty nine thousand dollars that I want you to invest in my company and build some resources for my company. If you believed him to be a hard and austere man, would you go and bury it in your backyard? Hey, boss, I don't know what happened. Right. Would, would you like do nothing No, those very difficult bosses, demanding bosses who expect a great deal from you, what do you do when they say, jump? How high? Right? You move. Right? If you know that your boss is demanding and hard and hard-hearted and stiff-necked, guess what you're going to do? Your fear and respect of that boss is going to cause you to go out quickly 
and do the best you can and you're going you're gonna to be like double checking every single decision, but you're going to be trying to make as much money for your company as possible, right? You're going to do everything you can because you don't want the wrath of that guy to come down on you. So this guy was lying and his boss is calling, his master is putting his finger on it saying, hey, you're lying to me because if you knew that I was a hard man, you should have at least deposited with the bankers. At very least, right? Put it in the CD account. It rolls over. I get some interest. He says, but you didn't. He had a wicked motive. Okay? So, he says, take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For everyone who has more will be given. And you know, we see that. You know, you're faithful in a small thing. God blesses you, doesn't he? Right? He continues, the, the more you minister, I mean, if you've gotten to like minister to somebody, right, maybe somebody comes in brokenhearted and you share with them. Now, number one, you're blessed just to do it, right? When, when you get to comfort them, when you get to minister, come alongside them and help them, it blesses you. But then what happens? The Lord brings somebody else across your path too, right? Because you were faithful to minister to your friend. And the Lord keeps bringing, it's like, gosh, man, look, look, I have this ministry that's kind of forming of like, of helping people and encouraging people and blessing people. And it's like, do you think that's accidental? No, but I tell you guys that as you are faithful to love one another, to serve one another, to mend one another, God is going to look upon that and go, yes, there is a servant whom I can trust and I will entrust more to. That's how ministries grow. That's how pastors are formed. You you don't just go like, hey, you know what? One day I want to be a senior pastor. Hey, Brian, send me out. It's like, well, before you do that, why don't you go scrub some toilets? And after you do that, why don't you go serve in the children's ministry? No, 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 I'm too big for that. You don't understand. I am God's gift to this generation. Well, get your gift into the children's ministry and serve. Right? Cut your teeth there. You be faithful there. And then, and then, as I recognize the Holy Spirit moving in you, as I recognize God granting you, blessing you with more and more, that's like, okay, I will acknowledge what is, and then I will send you out. That's how it works. In the same sense, we have that here. But now, huh. His talent was taken from him. His Holy Spirit was taken from him. Is that possible? Hmm. That is a hard question. And quite frankly, I can give you conjecture. I can quote some scripture. But you know what? I could argue both sides of that coin. I really could. Can you lose your gifts? Well, it says the gifts of God are irrevocable. But now this is talking about a judgment, right? This is, he's getting ready to be thrown into outer darkness. Huh. You know what? Honestly, I can't stand here and say absolutely, doctrinally, boom, it's a parable. I can just say, you know what? There's a warning here. There's a warning for every single believer. Don't misuse the gifts God has given you. Do you know you can misuse the gifts that God has given you? There are many TV evangelists that are on the TV that, you know what, they grew up, gave their heart to Jesus Christ, and I bet God gave them the gift of evangelism, right? They have the gift of exhortation. They have that gift. And you know what? Then something happens along the line, and they get greedy for money, and they want it, and they want it, and they want it. And all of a sudden, they begin to take that gift, and they begin to misuse it, and they begin to use this gift, this Holy Spirit gift, to basically fleece the flock of God. And you say, is that possible, Pastor? You guys ever read about Solomon? What gift was he given? Wisdom, right? Above all other men that would come before him or after him. And yet did Solomon 
use his gift of wisdom to glorify God and his kingdom? No, but he wasted it. He wasted it on carousing with drunkards, on sexual behaviors and things like that. He misused the gift of God. And at the end of his life, when you read Ecclesiastes, he says, my life was a waste. Vanity, vanity, or that word vanity literally means emptiness. Emptiness, emptiness is everything under the sun. Can you lose your salvation? Can you lose the Holy Spirit? Can you lose the gifts of God if you completely quench the Holy Spirit and walk away from Him, carouse with the drunkards and the whole bit, you know, aren't prepared for His coming and all of that? You know what? That is something that we can talk at length about and have a very interesting conversation about. But in the end, you know what? That is something that God will declare to us in that day. I don't have the answer. I can't say for certain All I can say is, you know what, with that, in this parable, Jesus Christ is teaching at his coming and being ready for his coming and be ready to give an account when he comes that there is this great warning here. There is a great warning here. Don't misuse the things that God has blessed you with. But instead, love much. Minister much. Help each other. Right? Don't live for yourself. Finally, he says, cast that unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay? 1 Corinthians 13, the first three verses, talks about all the things. You could have all these spiritual gifts, right? And those are spiritual gifts, right? Tongues, spiritual gift. Um, The gift of prophecy, spiritual gift. The gift of knowledge, gift of faith. He talks about that. Um, He talks... um, about all of these things. He says, even if you have the gift of mercy, give all your goods to the poor. He says, even if you have the gift of faith and you literally you commit yourself to be martyred, a martyr's death. He says, if you do not have love, it profits you nothing. Well, wait a second. Doesn't that kind of go against the whole, I can't lose my salvation. I can't lose. These are all spiritually given gifts. These are gifts of the Holy Spirit. He says, if you do not love, he says, all of those gifts mean nothing. That is the evidence of salvation. Without love, without the Holy Spirit of God, even if we're churchgoers, we will not be known by God, just like those five foolish virgins, when we, sh- we will share our portion with the non-believers and the haters of God. But listen, this is not His will. God does not want to throw us into outer darkness. He, it's not His will that any should perish. Right? That's why He sent His only begotten Son, that whoever would believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. It's His desire to say, enter into the joy of your Lord. Well done, good and faithful servant. That is His desire. But when He left, He commanded us to love. Didn't He? When He left, He commanded us to love. And we're waiting for His return. And in that time, while we're waiting for His return, we need to be loving. We need to be loving him and we need to be loving each other. He has given us this true gift of, of this gift of true love, which is agape, self-sacrificing love. Why? Because he loves. He's commanded us to love. He has granted us love. And the reason why is because he loves us. Right? That's why he's given it. And, and you know, right now we're going to take a moment and the band's going to come back up and, and we're going to, we're going to participate in communion. Right? What is communion? It's remembering the greatest act of love that has ever happened. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
while we were cursing His name, He prayed for us. While we turned our backs and did all sorts of ungodly things, He died that we might have life. We're going to remember that now. Right? We're going to rejoice in that together. So guys, go ahead and come back. Come on up. And we're going to worship together. And they're going to sing a couple songs. They're going to, the ushers are going to pass out the elements. And as they pass out the bread, hold on to it. Look at it. Think about it. Remember how much God loves you. Right? Your worth is found in that. And we're going to be thankful. And we'll, part, we'll pray and we'll participate of that bread together, that representative of His body broken for us. And then they'll pass out the cups and we'll take that cup and hold it and look at it and remember that Christ shed His blood for you that you may have life. And we will pray and we will drink together and then we will celebrate, huh? So let's take a moment and just lift this time up. Father, we thank You so much, Lord, for Your Word. Lord, we thank You for Your great love. Lord, that your commands, Lord, they're not burdensome, Lord, but they are joy. For you have commanded us life to help each other, to be good. So, Lord, we rejoice in you this morning. Please bless this time as we gather in your name. Amen.